0: Now entering the Bitcoin Podcast
1: Network Yeah Welcome to the Bitcoin Podcast We in our chat. Bitcoin's we got them acquire never sell but catch us rollin' deep like a dell. Bitcoin Chains cryptocurrency. Three guys played it talking Bitcoin, no fee. That's the free Bitcoin podcast, insane. And adoption is still the only thing, thing, thing that matters, main.
2: Hey guys, welcome to the Bitcoin podcast. Episode number 156. I'm your first host, Marcello.
0: I'm host number 2, B. As always, host number 3, Corey. I want to say that like we've been we've been pretty consistent about having all three of us lately on the on the round tables at least. Like for a while. Yeah, I, I mean,
3: we didn't miss many more before like, for that. Kind of Earlier, we, we missed a few. I feel
0: like we 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 dipped out on quite a few in the early days. Maybe it was just I don't know. But I don't know. I don't think been, so. Overall, I'd say we're pretty consistent. Just like we I don't we've we have we missed a single week. No. No I think we missed one Sunday. One or two Sundays.
3: We missed a Sunday about two weeks ago. That's not too bad. That's about it. So we haven't bad. missed we we're pretty scheduled, man. We're more scheduled than a nine D sitcom, family sitcom.
2: We're the reliable podcast that you can count on.
0: Yeah where the podcast you can curl to bed with when you know we'll come home with the with the with the the bacon.
3: That's right. You can listen to our smooth, silky voices as we put you to rest. I don't have and much we of let a, you down.
0: I don't have much of a smooth voice. Oh yeah. I could not do like not, a like a jazz show. I'd have to do like a voice modulation and make myself sound way cooler than what I normally sound like.
3: You just got to believe in yourself. Remember what your wife said at your wedding. Because you guys started long distance. Are we going to get personal? Can sure. we get personal? Corey and his wife started long distance so they would Skype date. And she was like, I fell in love with his voice. And everybody at the wedding was like, oh my God. Maybe she just
0: loves nerdy ass voices.
3: <laughs> well then don't take her to any of these fucking bitcoin conventions Then she's going to do thousands of them at the same time her kick hormone kickstarter I,
1: I fell in
2: love with Corey when he made his top 10 CDs of summer 1996 on Zenga. <laughs> <laughs> everyone loves That's me for
0: speaking. a different side of Corey
3: <laughs> I fell in love with Corey when we needed a ghost pilot when we were playing Halo 2 and he was like I could do that we were like, cool.
2: <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about let's talk about some Bitcoin.
3: Yeah, we need to talk about Bitcoin stuff.
2: Well, before we get into that, episode uh one hundred fifty six has a new sponsor. What? Yup. Is we it Michael it. Jordan? Close. Blockbuster. You're getting colder.
3: Ah, oh, damn. I don't know why I went from Michael Jordan to Blockbuster. <laughs> it's
2: um it's it's polly it pally? pally i'd say it's pally because you're looking for pals <laughs> we, that's true
3: we we should help them out by knowing how to pronounce
2: well he has an accent so he says pally polly but it, he has an excuse
3: i think it's pally right because when you go visit you need a
2: pal like George yeah. just said yeah yeah all right that's a good way to remember it but we're brought to you by Pally.io. You might uh, you might remember them when they were on the show, and uh, you know if they're on this show, it got through Corey, which means it's legit times ten. A, um, it's at least a good idea. <laughs> that's yeah, at the very least. Uh, basically, they're a decentralized social travel ecosystem comprised by uh, Pally Social, which is a mobile application that has uh, it's been live since April. And then there's Pally Adventures, which is a community marketplace where visitors can immerse themselves in new cities through a unique experience. And this is all curated by local hosts. So this podcast is all about community, so is Pally, so this is a good marriage. Uh, In fact, Corey himself is going to be out in London uh, early next year using it personally. So uh, if you need more assurance than that, the August presale sold out in 11 minutes and the full ICO is going to be coming up October fifteenth, so head on over to Pally. Co, and Pally is your decentralized social traveling app.
3: Wait, did you say Co or Io? Co. I think you said C- Io first. You said Iowa first. Yeah.
2: Well, is Pally the the app would be an Io? If you're
3: traveling in in Europe and scared of the dark alleys, you should probably open up your app called Pally.
2: It's not a bad one. It's not a bad one. Will you remember it? it. Will you remember it next episode?
3: Will I remember it? No.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But
3: the fact remains that jingle has been created. All right. I like it. I'm just honest about my memory. I'm not going to remember that. Well, Uh, moving on. How about how do you guys feel about Amazon Video? I don't even know what that
2: is. What
3: are you talking about? Well, I mean, it, do you use it as a service, or do you use Netflix or uh, HBO Go? Netflix. Uh, I don't use
0: HBO Go either. I, I use HBO Go and Netflix. I use Amazon Prime when I can't find something on either one of those two services.
2: Ninety percent of people that have HBO Go just watch Game of Thrones anyway, and you could bootleg the shit out of that show. Silicon so, Valley. I can watch that on the internet. Okay, so it's a no on Amazon Video then. Yeah. What exclusive shows does Amazon Video have that we should be checking out?
0: Why are we even talking
2: Uh, about this? uh, Because it's it's on my TV.
3: Oh, shut up.
2: Talk about something. I thought you had a point to this.
3: Nope, I I just wanted to hijack the conversation. Anyway.
2: Talk about the SEC. That's my bad. All right, the SEC yeah. is getting in the cryptos, and they created a cyber unit form to protect retail investors. What do you guys think about that? Good.
3: Yeah, it's necessary, man. Look, it's really necessary because there's a lot of people in this country with a lot of money. Hell, there's just a lot of people with a lot of money. Period. And they keep reading all this crazy stuff about ICOs, and you know they want to dump some money in, but somebody needs to protect their dumbness. Now, sometimes I don't, I'm not like a big fan of. Having to protect people from themselves, but I guess it's really necessary, especially in this ICO stuff and the amount of stupid ICOs we see on a daily basis. The man's got to look out for the small guy.
0: Yeah, I don't know. It, it's it, it. I think it pushes things towards a standard, right? It's they're going to come up with regulation. People are going to like they're going to crack down on somebody for something. And it, the more that this happens, or the more that they talk about what they want or what they're looking for, the more that the new businesses that are coming out who are thinking about raising funds through an ICO be able to structure themselves in a way that they know they'll be okay. Right now, or previously, it's always been up in the air and they don't quite know. And so people would just leave U.S. or only say U.S. accredited investors or things like that. And with this, they'll have a much better guideline on being able to include people in the U.S. with a lot of money or people who don't have a lot of money to To be included in these ICOs, it's so it's we can go back potentially to this thing where people who would like to raise money through this thing called the initial coin offering can do so and reach people who who are typically have never been involved or had the access to invest into projects that they like. It didn't cur- certainly didn't have millions of dollars. let say this in your average Joe. That's like, hey, I'd like to put twenty, fifty, hundred, five hundred dollars into this ICO that because I like what they're trying to do and I want to support it. And that's, that's going to be a thing. Mm -hmm. Maybe at least it's, it's guidelines that push us in the direction of that thing.
2: The U S though, we're unique that even amongst countries with like relatively decentralized law enforcement, I can't think of another country where most government departments have their own internal police force or or many primary federal law enforcement agencies, like the DEA, the FBI, which would normally be much more consolidated. I think the U.S. is unique in that sense.
3: That the uh, organizations have their own cops?
2: Yeah, Irish, the Irish police is centralized. Portugal police is centralized. <laughs> Germany is centralized. Uh, the French, they have national police, and then they have armed forces. You know, if only yeah, like, we have it's just, different. we're unique in that sense.
0: Well, I, I would say this much, like the, 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 we're, we have one of the larging, largest, most regulated governing bodies and the different governing bodies that exist, which are many, 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 all are very, very siloed. And so you have a ton of different types of people trying to regulate very similar things, which causes a lot of red tape and bureaucracy. And it's because we kind of—I I don't have a good reason for it. I'm not a lawyer. I don't—I don't study politics. But that's the way things exist, which causes a lot of frustration for new bird-like budding technologies that are trying to be technologies of inclusion that also have like that are worldwide and, and, and that touch on every as many things as what cryptocurrencies touch on. So it's going to be kind of a long haul on. Regulation, because each different section is probably going to have to weigh in. They all have their own task force. SEC is a big one. I'm glad they're stepping forward and, and kind of paving the
3: way for others to continue. Yeah, the world's getting smaller and smaller, though. I think we're gonna get we're gonna slowly get s- smarter as to how we approach these new technologies that are inclusive on a global scale. It's relatively new thing when you take into like the history of humanity. It's a relatively new thing being able to talk to someone that lives on a different continent than you. Not not that old. Or it's not
2: you know what I'm trying to say.
3: Taking a while to adapt.
2: Yeah. Well didn't you say uh, you know, this is actually kinda quick for the government? How fast they've acted.
3: Yeah, you said that in the Slack today, Core. And Corey's getting his pizza, tried to slide out
2: slick. <laughs> yeah, man, if only the NSA was more focused on, on defending our government systems, we could free up other government resources to work on the non redundant functions. Because now, you know, if I'm going to play devil's advocate, now the the criticism of having a centralized force—it makes corruption easier and more attractive. And in a sense, you've you've also centralized corruption, and it's given it just as many efficiencies. I mean, I don't have a full solution to the issue, but it's just a quick point from the other side.
3: I, I mean, I kind of saw it coming. It was a matter of time. They're gonna have to. This is what I think. Like the SEC government, I think they just were kind of banking on the
2: fact that they could be lazy. That they how could. Do you, how do you feel as a taxpayer, though? Are you okay with it? I don't have a choice.
3: I mean, how do sure. I feel as a taxpayer that my tax dollars are going to help them police? the ICO markets so that retail, retail investors don't get got I mean Is that you what know, you're asking me
2: I mean if you're okay with a Byzantine structure of agencies you know any of which can go after a variety of criminal wrongdoing some people aren't okay with that
3: I'm alright with it I mean would you rather people just get scamified Week in and week out No <laughs> I guess not yeah. So I mean it's You gotta take the good with the bad But it was inevitable man When you have billions of dollars going into An industry especially Shh. something as niche as this The SEC is gonna get involved That's just I mean it should have been expected What, so it was, what expected. was that loud dragon In the background right there uh, that's or my kid. It, uh... Oh, that's your kid.
0: Let's uh, let's let's kick it over to the interview. We got a
3: long interview this time. You sure you want to kick it? In? I had a. Are we
2: going to coming back? Uh, are we gonna? Yeah, let's maybe. come back. Sure, let's go cool. come back. Sure. I wasn't I wasn't here for this, so someone else is gonna have to Do give you, a you, little you got description. A,
0: you got on real well with Vinay. Why don't you Why don't you hit him with the inter- intro? All
3: right. I didn't prepare for this. I wasn't prepared.
0: Well, make it up. That's (laughs) improv. Improv, man.
3: Today's guest is Vinny Gupta. Vinny? He's a... a, Whoa. Vinny. Vinay Gupta. Who's Vinny? I got my Vinny and Vinay because of Vinny Lingam. I was on Twitter today. That guy's always on Twitter. Today's guest is Vinay Gupta. And he's a nighttime billionaire vigilante that wears dark suits And takes on criminals face-to-face for the betterment of mankind. That's not true. All that's fake. All right. So, Vinay Gupta, he's now an advisor with Sweetbridge Advising Group. And I don't know. I feel like I'm giving an introduction to someone and everyone knows. Because everyone knows who Vinay Gupta is in this scene. Um... Let's, let's see. Let's dig down. So he's a world-renowned cryptographer. Um, he's also – I introduced him in the interview now. Now I remember. World-renowned cryptographer, um, advisor, uh, crypto enthusiast, Twitter aficionado. Am I missing anything?
2: Loves to scuba dive.
3: Loves to scuba dive. Probably loves a good margarita pizza. Um, Do you think he likes pineapple on his pizza? No, he's not the type. You okay. can look at him in his eyes and tell he doesn't like pineapple on his pizza. Um, I really have nothing else to add. He's going to plug everything he wants to plug in the interview. So, without further ado, here's Vinay Gupta. E. and hello everybody we are here with a man who who probably needs little to no introduction in this space um just such an amazing contributor to the space and very well known but in case you didn't hear like our first our first go through with mr vinay gupta um i'm gonna allow him to kind of reintroduce himself to our audience just like how you got in the crypto space i know you weren't in it for a little while and then you kind of were you you had no choice but to get involved because it is just that amazing and just kind of give our audience just a little reintroduction um as to who you are and and what you're doing
4: well uh so i started out in crypto in the 1990s um uh, as part of the e-gold economy way back in the day i worked on uh kind of privacy and security tools a little bit um and then uh, I left the field and spent years and years doing things like energy policy. Uh, came back in to join the Ethereum team in 2014. Um, spent about a year, year and a half with Ethereum, then about a year with Consensus, And then a year ago, I struck out on my own with some friends in London. Uh, and right now I'm doing a project called Materium, which is focusing on the interface between law and smart contracts.
0: Mm. That's a hell of an interface.
4: So, yeah.
0: <laughs> uh yes why don't we why don't we just so let's, let's just dig into that before do you get the continue i'm going to cut you off real quick i want to get into that like that's that's a hell of an interface like why why did you choose that what's the point in trying to to marry those two things
4: well so for years and years and years in Grigg, uh who has you know i mean He was kind of like my generation's Satoshi. Uh, I bought anonymous digital cash from Ian Gregg backed 100% by physical gold in 2000. So Ian has been around for a long time. Um, So, you know, Ian had been talking for years and years and years about the need for what he called Ricardian contracts. And a Ricardian contract is a contract where you've got a paper contract, which is visible and understandable to a court. And the paper contract uh, delegates some authorities to a software system like a smart contract. Uh, and that results in a system that's fully legally visible to the courts, but is also um, fully kind of cryptographically secured. So you kind of get this thing that has the strength from the court system and it has the strength from the crypto as a single package, and even called the hydrocardio contract. Um, but to make sure that the courts will honor these things, you want to run them through special courts. Unfortunately, law has a mechanism for creating special courts that handle deeply technical issues and that's called binding arbitration. And the binding arbitration courts are used for things like construction law, they're used for shipbuilding, um, they're used for international shipping, almost anything that's really complicated and technical. You've got choice, which is you could go into a regular court with a bunch of expert witnesses, or you could go to a special arbitrator and the arbitrator has the technical skills to understand what the case is about fundamentally. Um, so about, I don't know, six months ago now, maybe a bit less, um, I was looking at the whole explosion that was happening with crypto, and it was like, well, you know, maybe we need to be doing something a little more hands-on and practical and direct in this, um, so we put the venture capital project on hold and decided we were going to build one of these um, sort of court systems and the associated technical infrastructure around it, and uh, that project is called Materium.
1: Hmm.
3: Is, is there going to be, so for this project, is it, is it like a platform? Is there a, a token associated? Like how does it roll into the crypto space?
4: Well, so 90% of the work is legal work. Um, it's hiring lawyers to write really, really specific, detailed, specialized contracts that two people can sign, and um, that will transfer a set of authorities from the plain paper world into the crypto world. And specifically, that will basically give a smart contract um, legal force because of this kind of handoff inside of the paper contract where it says, you know, the following things are being handled by the smart contract. And to understand the legal states of the situation, you've got to examine the smart contract. So to get that to work, you need basically the paper contracts, you need the smart contracts, and you need an arbitration body which can be named in the smart contract as the private court that will hear the cases. And you need to build those three things simultaneously because no two of them work you need the full set before it's effective if i were to try and
0: even layman that up as much as possible are you trying to standardize the legality of smart contracts based on how we currently do smart contracts
4: pretty close yeah pretty close um i mean this is not that esoteric in practice right so say you want to sell me your couch in exchange for me paying you an ether You know, Mm -hmm. if we do that through something like eBay, eBay doesn't currently have the technical capability to look at the blockchain and know whether or not you paid me. So if you and I got into an eBay dispute about, you know, I said I would pay for your couch and ether and you said I didn't pay you and I said I did. um, The odds are the eBay customer service can't figure out that problem. Uh, If you take it to small claims court, you're not gonna do any better there because the judge in the small claims court isn't even gonna have heard of this stuff. So you're left with a perfectly enforceable contract. Um, you know, there's a there's a you know piece of paper that says I'm gonna buy your couch and I'm gonna pay you for it, but you've got no access to enforceability to actually get paid. So hmm. what do you do? There's nothing you can do, and if there's nothing you can do to get enforceability, there's not much that you're gonna be able to do in terms of um getting contracts built. Right? People just won't sign them because they can't enforce them.
3: So essentially, it's the bridge between the real world and the blockchain world, the blockchain contract world.
4: Ethereum is for the ethereal stuff. Materium is for the material stuff. And it's how you extend from the ethereal into the material.
0: I see what you did there with the names. You already got your branding built in. (laughs)
4: That's Kind of sort of what we were hoping. Well, a lot of people are just like, so who's (laughs) Matt?
3: How how awesome is it working so intimately with lawyers all the time we have a lot of lawyers i mean our next door, <laughs> our next door
4: neighbors are lawyers you know our, they're, they're just they're just everywhere we have an amazing collection of lawyers in london for doing this kind of work and everybody's kind of interested because if the material thing takes it's going to be basically legal work from here to the horizon it's going to be legal work for days Uh, And that's fine. I mean, that's kind of how the real world works, right? I mean, you just wind up with these enormous freaking contracts for everything. And the idea that we were going to stay clear of that stuff indefinitely was unrealistic. So we might as well do it on our own terms.
0: That brings me, I think that beautifully brings me into like my next point. My next kind of like thing I wanted to discuss with you is previously when we talked, we're somewhat skeptical of the, the, the claims we were making about ethereum or like the things we wanted to do and it's been maybe i don't know over a year since we've talked Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. i would imagine your views have changed about like or like it may have morphed in a certain way of like what you think about this space its future and and what it brings before i like before you answer like you got me ultimately excited in the early days with one of the talks that you gave about discussing the infrastructure, like the actual technical hardware problem that blockchain solved. It mm-hmm. really made me dig into this type of stuff and the social implications of what that type of infrastructure change could mean. Like, How has your experience in this space morphed your opinion based on that viewpoint you had back
4: then? Well, I mean, I got to tell you that... <sighs> I mean the, the main the main social phenomena right is the ico bubble and the ico bubble is amazing it's it's a really really powerful phenomena um but it's also just a, you know a bunch of people running around naked and on fire <laughs> and you know i i really worry that people are not really putting this into a historical context they're not really making sensible investment decisions uh, and they might get lucky. There might be so much uplift from the underlying platform technology as things like, um, uh, proof of, uh, um, uh, proof of stake come into Ethereum. Right. So it may be in a position where you wind up with this crazy bubble and then the technology expands so fast that it fills the bubble out again. Um, but it may also be that you get this crazy bubble and then the crazy bubble just pops and everybody turns around one day and is like, what the hell just happened, um. So I think we're now in a much more precarious position than we were with Ethereum, at kind of 10 or $20 and a whole bunch of heavy engineering work getting done because the foundation had a few million bucks to do the engineering work. You know, now you've got, I don't know, whatever it is, 25, $30 billion of money sloshing around in the Ethereum ecosystem. Um, And I'm not sure that there's any maturity in the ecosystem to be able to turn that kind of money into real engineering. You know, the Ethereum mm-hmm. Foundation is not twenty times the size it was when Ethereum was a twentieth of the price. Instead, what we have is a whole bunch of people who are like, you know, I don't know, ICOing like <laughs> you know, websites for like forty-two million dollars. That's a good point. Like the
0: focus of the of, of the effort has changed from let's make tech that changes the world to let's make a website that makes us a bunch of money that potentially allows us to maybe build tech later on.
1: Well, I
4: mean, even even if most of the ICOs built all the tech that they're going to build, even if it all succeeded, most of it is basically junk.
0: Do you have any do you have any gold stars that you would like to pass on to people that isn't junk? Like, is, is, is there is there good projects
4: going on? Because there certainly has to be. Well, I mean, okay. So let's let's differentiate between kind of what's interesting and what's good. So there are a whole bunch of projects which are gonna build next generation blockchains by raising money from the Ethereum ecosystem and then going off and building things which are intended to be fully scalable from their initial conception. And that kind of work is interesting, but generally speaking, the engineering teams that are associated with those projects don't have anything like the level of firepower necessary to solve the problems they say they're gonna solve. Hmm. So I am somewhat pessimistic. You know, if you saw a team that was, you know seven or eight professors of computer science who'd come out of a parallel processing um you know uh school somewhere like edinburgh university center for the foundations of um, computer science laboratory for the foundations of computer science if you saw teams coming out of those kind of places looking at these kind of problems with ico money behind them you think okay maybe that's going to work um, but if you see teams that have a lower level of technical firepower i'm really suspicious that a lot of that stuff is just not going to go anywhere unless they are able to manage, you know, to hire the people that have those kind of skills and then get the teams to actually deliver the software. So that's the stuff that's really interesting. And I kind of, I have a wait and see attitude to that one branch. Um, then there's a bunch of financial services infrastructure where, you know, they're basically ICOing huge amounts of money, largely to provide liquidity pools for things like stable coins and that kind of stuff. You know, the money is still basically in the ecosystem. It hasn't really gone anywhere. It's just moved from one form to another, and it'll be able to move be moved back again if those things don't work. Another set of possibilities. And then there are the things which are basically apps. You know, there are probably, I don't know, how many, five, six ICOs for taxis? You know, this mm-hmm. kind of uber-killer category, there must be, I don't know, how many have you seen?
0: I couldn't couldn't tell you. There's, there's quite a few. It's all kind of few, basically it trying to same a... the same problem.
4: So there's a bunch of these things, and these things are basically apps, right? You know, yes, in theory, you could, you know, they're decentralized and they're hardened and all the rest of that kind of stuff. But really, these are just people who are working on a fairly mundane problem that you could potentially solve with a website, you know? And okay, does it really benefit from being decentralized? Well, you know, if you had an employee-owned version of Uber, it would have most of the same practical benefits as a decentralized version of Uber.
0: What if we take away from the decentralization aspect of it and just talk about the token aspect of it, that like the the scarce token that ends up being somewhat of like an API key to the platform that provides some benefits to the community using that particular application because they are apps. They're called decentralized applications. The token involved with them is supposed to be a way to incentivize the people using that application to contribute to it. If you see value in that, or is it just people saying shit in hopes of making money?
4: Well, okay, so this gets into mechanism design. And mechanism design is a pretty uh, recently interesting area of economics. Um, uh, I want to say the Nobel Prize was given to somebody that was a specialist in mechanism design maybe one prize ago, two prizes ago. Um, you know, proper hardcore technical stuff. So, in theory, uh, if the tokens are correctly designed, they ought to be able to create what they call comments. So, you know, a sort of piece of virtual property, uh, which has a special set of rules associated with it, which has some kind of membership structure. And within that, what's good for one is good for all. And as a result, you get a zone of cooperation, you get really special things resulting. Um, most of the use tokens, I don't think have that property. So. The problem with the use tokens is this a lot of them are pretty naive in that the assumption is that you pay one token per transaction, and if the token becomes worth 100 times what it was yesterday, the transactions become infeasibly expensive. So you wind up with a conflict of interest between the investors in the tokens that want the token to be expensive and the users of the system that want the tokens to be cheap, because then they get cheap services and that does not seem to me like you're going to get a long-term beneficial economy out of that because you're just baking in the structural conflict with customers and stakeholders kind of on day one so i'm not sure that those kind of approaches are going to produce the things that we want uh on the other hand if you had a whole bunch of uh project participants that were all accepting the same tokens to work inside of the same ecosystem you know for example if all of the companies that were doing kind of taxi type operations were using the same underlying token and there was a kind of generic transport coin that everybody could use for transport projects, maybe that would work. Right. But I don't see those kind of structures. Um, recently in the past month or so, uh, I've been getting a massive education on token design from a team called Sweetbridge. Uh, and that has hugely altered my perception of what's possible with this kind of stuff. Um, but that is still very much like sinking into my skull. Um, I'm just slowly beginning to learn how to see the world through that set of eyes. Uh, and I think that set of approaches might deliver a whole bunch of the stuff that we want, but you know, it's going to take some time to figure out how to do this stuff.
3: Well, Can you uh, go ahead, go elaborate ahead. on the Sweetbridge? Cause yeah, we, we caught wind and by caught wind was emailed to us <laughs> that you are advising for Sweetbridge, or you've joined their advisory group. So, What You said they opened your eyes and you hadn't been looking at things like that. What did they do? What are they up to?
4: So remember a couple of years ago, I wrote this piece called Dog Atheism. Mm -hmm. Remember that? Mm
1: -hmm.
4: So Dog Atheism was this kind of long grasp that there was something about the way that we were representing value in the ecosystem that destroyed a whole bunch of information that we needed to be able to make good decisions. So, you know, think of something like bottled water. Right, you're buying bottled water to put in your car, you see two bottles on a shelf, one of them was shipped 1800 miles to be there and the other one came from like 20 miles away. So on a simple sort of common sense, practicality basis, you really ought to prefer the one that came with the shorter transport distance, because at the end of the day, water is water, there's nothing to choose between. them. Mm -hmm. But the way the offer is represented takes away some of the information that you need to make the decision. I see Hmm. so this whole kind of dog atheism trip was imagine you had a situation where the supply chain was kind of transparent and you could see the information that you needed to make the decision. So you take something like the water, you can see that the thing costs you a dollar 50, but when you buy it, you get signed 38 grams of carbon for one of them and 11 grams of carbon for the other. And, you know, this notion that you're basically just absorbing carbon onto some kind of personal carbon bank account every time you buy something that's been transported a long way, that restores a price signal, an economic signal, that causes you to do the thing which is economically rational rather than burying the environmental information inside of the other price. See what I'm saying? It's putting environmental
0: transparency into...
4: it's.
0: It's just it's just more variables that allow you to make better decisions.
4: Exactly right, I and mean, one of the ways that I talked about this was vector money. Right now, money is just a single scalar number. It's you know twenty five or thirty seven or one hundred fifty one. But if you had money that was kind of multi dimensional, you could have it indicate the price. You could have it indicate the carbon. You could have some kind of factor for social damage that was being done. You could have some factor for, um, you know whether there had been any cruelty to animals involved. Um, you could do uh, environmental pollution, and you could just basically mark some kind of set of factors. And if those factors were indicated, most people would generally speak intent towards the thing which had the minimum damage. Because at the end of the year, you have your bank balance, and it shows that you spent you know, $13,000 that year, and it also shows that you accumulated an enormous amount of slavery tokens, because you keep buying stuff that's manufactured <laughs> in you know, slave labor regimes on the other side of the world
3: right i'm not trying to generate any slave tokens right That's not gonna be you see what i'm saying
4: right but you know everything that you buy you know at some level if you're buying electronics you know that there are a bunch of kids who make a living crawling in holes in africa pulling up minerals that are used to make the radio transmitters inside of your cell phones
0: i'm not trying to buy blood no. ipads
3: Right? Don't make me feel bad, Vinay. I'm so <laughs> ready to buy my <laughs> iPhone 10. Like I'm so ready to buy it. Oh, well, no. it's just,
4: you're just gonna have to buy it, and use it a real long time, right? But you know, what if I
3: just buy it and then write one of those open letters to the world? You know, because everybody writes an open letter nowadays. Uh, yeah, and I just yeah. here's my open letter to the world. You know, like I apologize. I bought this iPhone. I this.
4: I feel bad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't think else
3: Feel bad with me, and maybe that will solve
4: the problem. Um, you know, that works. so, you know, we could do this stuff, right? I mean, you know, I, I used to be very, very, very much into trade and supply chains as, you know, ways that we can understand the political situation that we're in, uh, I used to tell people, you know, if you want a better world, you need to find a picture of a Chinese factory worker and put it as a sticker on the back of your phone. Um, and wow, it's really hard to get people to do stuff like that. So. In theory, you could put all this stuff on the supply chain. And, um, you know, I kind of be grasping at this stuff and eh, I got a bit closer here and a bit closer there, but, you know, there was something there about how you could do this kind of large-scale alignment of interests using tokens, right? Using more better instrumented money, using smart contracts that would do things like align the interests of the people down a supply chain um so if you've got you know you're buying coffee for 350 in starbucks you know that the guy at the beginning of the supply chain is growing the coffee uh in you know some you know hot dry place for like five dollars a bag and they're selling it for five dollars a cup and you know maybe there's some way of pushing more of the money down the supply chain so that guy gets a share of the money which is being made rather than just having enormous uh, enormous corporate profits and you know starbucks making so much money that they're opening starbucks in the toilets
3: of other starbucks (laughs) so there are like 50 starbucks in the chicago airport it's airport it's ridiculous
4: and i mean that's not happening because they're not making money right there are 50 of those things because it's profitable for there to be 50.
3: i was exaggerating there's not 50 but there's way too many starbucks yeah i mean it's like probably
4: it's probably if you count all of them like 37. You,
3: Sorry, Corey. I interrupted. Yeah, you.
0: I'm just, I'm just like, I feel like the the moniker of blockchain that you've latched onto, um, with all of this is 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 purely transparency. Do you feel like that's the number one kind of hallmark of the technology that we're building?
4: Well, if we want to talk about disruption, right? How do you get a better world out of these technologies? Transparency is one side of that picture, right? So, if you have transparency for the industrial economy and all the physical stuff that's being made, it will pretty quickly put a halt to a whole bunch of bad practices that people are currently turning a blind eye to. And that's the transparency argument. On the other side of the coin, you've got the uh, anonymity argument, which gives you things like Zcash. You know, blockchain is important because it gives you anonymous payments. Anonymous payments are equivalent to anonymous free speech, and anonymous free speech is one of the fundamental guardians of democracy. And that's another side of the problem. That's another way of seeing the importance. Some people think it's more about transparency. Some people think it's more about anonymity. Uh, Some people think it's about new kinds of social organization. There are lots of different ways that people see this stuff.
3: Yeah, I think that's kind of what makes it so holistically decentralized, for lack of a better word. I mean, everybody seems to view this with a much different lens than the next person. which is amazing it's as wildly successful as it's been so far absolutely
4: And i mean that's one of the things you know the health of the movement in some ways is that the tech is moving faster than the politics so it doesn't really matter what people believe you know the technology just keeps rolling right on because the programmers keep building new stuff and then all the political thinking kind of has to follow behind so the ideology winds up in service to the technology rather than controlling the technology and i think that's also really healthy
3: do you think right. there'll ever be like a end point to this delicate dance we're doing with the regulators? Like it, it feels like some t- at some points in the year, I feel like it's on easy street. It's like, oh, you know, no problem. Obviously, it's going to be adopted and the regulators just won't care. And then at other points in the year, we get what's been happening in China where they're basically saying like you Bitcoin executives can no longer leave your homes without calling us first i mean it looks like it's pretty dire those could be rumors but you know you think it's always going to be this like tumultuous tango at
4: some point i mean what was the original bitcoin you know purpose right was it not a direct challenge to state power
3: it pretty much was a middle finger
4: Uh, yeah Right, and you know, it turns out that it doesn't matter what you call it, as long as you're still in a position where you're issuing your own currency instead of the state issuing your currency, to some degree, it's a challenge to state power.
0: Is it weird? Do 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 you really find it weird that the communist country decided to do this? Like, I mean, it, is it is it that surprising that China's like I don't I don't like this like more than like more than other countries. It's not that strange. It's it's kind of. It's not that surprising. No, actually. It's, it's, it's not. It's they've they've banned so many things where it gives power to a lot of people, when it's something they can't control. And authoritarian what
4: is country out to be authoritarian?
0: Yeah, like a, a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah.
4: But you know, let he who is without bit license cast the first stone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, I mean, it, I don't know. There's there's aspects of regulation that I think are good and, and aspects of it that are, are stifling. And it, it really has to do with the, and in my personal opinion, the ignorance associated with those causing regulation. And if they don't well, understand the technology or how they feel they can control it, if they don't understand the technology, they make bad decisions on the things that like, directly affect how people use it.
4: I mean... That's one side of it, right? I mean, there is definitely some of this that's driven by ignorance and fear. On the other hand, you know, if you're looking for a place where a whole bunch of people are going to lose their retirement income and be left as you know homeless old people, look no further than the ICO bubble.
0: Mm, yeah, that's uh, that's also yeah, fueled mean, by ignorance. I mean, the, I mean, if you really, really dig into the tech and try to find these. Don't get me wrong. There's, there's, penny stocks exist, and they've been taking people's money for years. But we still sure. have like companies that make the significant money off doing an, like an IPO, and that helps them fund into something that's that's potentially good. It, and that's the way this technology works. It, you're going to have people who are just going to make money off, off garbage, and then companies that can use this tool to fund themselves to make something that actually matters.
4: So I, I saw a piece by, um, believe it or not, Vitalik's father go by on Facebook, and he talked about being someplace and getting a haircut, and uh, you know his barber was talking about how somebody had like called him up and told him to buy into some ICO because it was a great way to make money for his retirement. Ugh, gross. And you know Dmitri was just like, oh my god, this is the end of the world. What have we done? Yeah, it's gross. You know? It's, it's horrible right so in yeah. that kind of environment either we stop these people doing this or the sec stops these people doing this but if we're not able to stop it ourselves somebody else is going to stop it because the state is going to wind up picking up the pieces when it all goes wrong
3: i actually have a success story on the other side of that but i'm gonna say like we stop it ourselves I don't know if that's possible, because I personally tried to. I had an older gentleman who, what I do through social media, and he contacted me personally. And this was about four, four and a half years ago. And he was telling me his plans with his finances. And I said, I could tell you about Bitcoin, but I don't want you doing anything crazy. This man contacted me about six months ago. And was like, I did all that crazy stuff you told me not to, and oh. now I'm wicked rich and I can retire. Thank you. And I was like, Don't thank me. I told you to do the opposite. I said, That's Don't amazing. do. I said, That's Don't do amazing. any of that stuff. And he yeah. did it, and now he's very happy, and he's asking me for more advice, like, he's uh, like well, what's about this ICO stuff. And I'm like, You don't want any of that. Like, don't tell me. Care.
4: Tell me something else that I should totally ignore because I want to make some more money. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
3: so at a certain point, it's like, it's, we can't stop it. I mean, I guess the SEC will have to step in, but you, if a person wants to throw their money at the wall, they're going to do it. Like, I don't know. Uh, I just so had a to...
4: Problem is they don't know it's the wall. Right. And, you know, unless you're lucky enough to have really good technical education, uh, it's very, very hard to tell the difference between great ideas and terrible ideas
0: here's an issue that, that exacerbates that type of thing. If you want, say you're an average Joe and you want to get into this, you look for media outlets to learn or try and find information about the, like the ICOs or uh, something like that. And, and if you do that, the majority of the media outlets are just getting paid by the underlying ICOs to then shill out like all the, all the good things that are happening. I mean, we get, we get, Tons and tons and tons of solicitations for people to say, can we come on your show to talk about that? Every, every yeah. day. Or like, you we'll bet. pay you to put an advertisement or all this other type of stuff. And 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 we we turned down, I don't know, 95% of them. And I know yeah. Yeah. that the majority of people who are doing this type of thing, this is like media outreach to, to try and build out some type of podcast or YouTube, say yes to everything. I know that for a fact mm-hmm. because I watch it happen. And you that makes you the average investor see things and think it's leg- and legitimize like falsely legitimizes these things, and then they throw money at that proverbial wall that they feel was legitimate because that's the first thing they saw when they tried to look it up.
4: Yeah, absolutely. You know, they heard about it in the papers, and you know, in this case, the papers is a bunch of blogs, and and you know, boom, here's your problem. Um, I mean, you know, when I was in high, sc- uh, high school or first year of university, I got some business cards printed up. Um, that said that I worked for the Bavarian Illuminati Data Processing Division.
1: <laughs> and,
4: you know, this was like, you know, this was like dot matrix printer, microperf cards. You know, this was not a high-tech forging operation, right? This was something that I printed at home. <laughs> um, you know, there was a nice, like, kind of 60s-style logo with an eye and a triangle, and it was just this kind of very, like, a hairline triangle and a single black dot for the eye. And, you know, I had to this- And I had to stop using them because people took them seriously. Like, I didn't know there was a Bavarian Illuminati. I'd heard of that. I didn't realize. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So it went corporate in the 1920s. And since then, it's been largely an IT firm. That's amazing. And I just had this kind of spiel. And people took it totally seriously. Right? And to the point where it was disturbing. Because at that point in time, business cards, you know, people had never seen a prank business card.
3: Mm, So you had some real power from the joke.
4: Yeah, because it was like, you know, we're talking 1991, 92. People didn't realize you could print business cards at home, and it was still an instrument that had some kind of authority behind it. It's a fantastic analogy for the current state of things. So, you've got a whole bunch of bloggers with, you know, nice looking professional sites that look like they cost a lot of money, and people don't realize it was $59 for a template. And, you know, the, the equipment for, you know, making everything look great and the filters and the photoshopping and all the rest of these things it's brought the price of what looks like professional media production down to the point where if you've got a bunch of people that are diligent and hard working, you can make yourselves look like a million dollars. So we've commoditized
0: professional, professional,
4: like face value. Is that what's happened? It's just gotten harder and harder and harder to tell who the pros are. um, Because the surface appearance of being professional is now much easier to achieve than it used to be.
3: That's very true.
4: Right. Same thing's true for video. Like, you know, what you can do now with like two thousand dollars worth of video camera used to require like you know five men and lighting rigs. Yeah, and now it's just point and click, off you go, in your pocket. And what we haven't done is built new accountability structures on top of this stuff. So you know, ENS is potentially the backbone of a new accountability system. You could really do some stuff with ENS if you put your mind to it. Uh, we could set up our own credit reporting agencies. We could have agencies that basically credentialed ICOs. You know, there, there are really concrete things that we could do about this in the way of setting up kind of you know proper research teams that would give reporting and that would be accountable for the long-term results of their reports. But all of that stuff involves people taking time and energy to go and do a job that really nobody wants to do right, you know, endlessly sifting through junk business plans and deciding that you're not going to endorse these people because they're a bunch of thieving clowns.
0: If it makes you feel any better, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a perfect use case for that type of thing. I started out making ICO analysis articles for, yeah. like, the, the distributed distribution of, of all these ICOs, of the, of the early large ones, and as time went on and the proliferation started, I got, like, morally upset or ethically upset of, like, the, like, one the types of things that were making a bunch of money and two the distribution of investors being not what the original plan of ICOs is for it was just like mm-hmm. three people basically buying out the entire thing and then the the company saying we're incredibly successful our token is incredibly distributed
3: yes
4: yeah yeah absolutely i mean this is the whole kind of you know whale attack problem yeah um And all of this stuff goes back to the failure of um, the decentralization of mining, you know, I mean, Bitcoin was originally intended to be something that people mined on their laptops overnight. And if we kept to that, then the, you know, billions of dollars that are coming out of Bitcoin mining operations would have been distributed among all the Bitcoin users. And you would have wound up with a system, which was basically kind of egalitarian. You would have a constant redistribution of wealth inside the system because of the way the mining worked. And instead, because the mining turned out to be vulnerable to ASICs and then concentration, we wound up creating an oligarchy, and that oligarchy then rolled its winnings right through into Ethereum.
0: Yeah, but like with 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 even if we talk, we stick with ICOs, the distribution of the token doesn't is, isn't subject to these types of things. I mean, granted, I, I guess you 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 you're forced to structure your ICO in a way that tries and dis- disincentivizes very large. Like investments, if you would like to do that type of thing. But you're right. Like, because all the, like a good portion of the Ether is held in small hands from early investors, mm-hmm. they get to pretty much buy up whatever they want without really digging into their coffers too deep.
4: That's what I'm saying. Right. Okay. So, you know, I mean, what percentage uh, or how many whales have Ether equal to the bottom 50% of Ether holders? Two yeah. dozen?
1: Five dozen? Three?
4: I don't know. Okay. Right? I mean, this is a these are these are dynamics that you know the system was not intended to have in the first place. And there's always going to be this tension inside of the crypto world between the sort of feeling that decentralization ought to give everybody an equal say in a kind of democratic way, and the truth, which is that decentralization is serving to produce enormous concentration of wealth.
3: Is it uh, do do we ever really break through this i mean i feel like there's
0: there's 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 still a like if we compare this to traditional systems it's still better because we've had a we've had a distribution of wealth in terms of like the number of millionaires say ethereum has created by itself Mm -hmm. is far better than any other thing that's made millionaires in the future it's it's distributed the amount of millionaires more than saying three people made 500 million dollars to a thousand people made a smaller amount of millions which is better than most things that have existed in the past
4: yes i mean it's certainly spreading the money out and also because so much of the initial money is luck. you know you happen to mm. hear about it you happen to listen <laughs> it's a very different thing from you went to college got a phd and then got a job in the right company
0: yeah you
4: know That's true. so we've got a lot of wealth in the hands of people that were basically just in the right place at the right time and that means you've got a distribution of different kinds of personalities, different kinds of skills, different kinds of world models. It's basically acted like a lottery um, for kind of progressive nerds.
0: So we just have, we just, we just made a bunch of Roger Veres, basically?
4: Uh, well, it's a, it's a broad range, right? I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm quite a fan of Eric Verhees. Uh, I only met him the one time, but you know, that was a really, really deep, strong, comprehensive political thinker. He'd really figured out what he believed he was going out in the world to apply that stuff. And, you know, if he was, you know, not in a time when he'd had crypto as an outlet, he probably would have wound up running a dot com that did, I don't know, super advanced pizza delivery. You know, <laughs> his ability to live in some kind of synchronicity, uh, you know, connection with his values wouldn't have been possible until the technology came along to support those values. Um, and you know, there are a lot of people like that who came with very strong political convictions and can now afford to work on those convictions uh it's a you know it's a significant thing but it, it's not going to solve the underlying social problems in the current form right we might discover new ways of approaching this that will work in the future like basic income on blockchain um but there's a long way to go between here and there
0: i have something like i've been cooking up this idea I and mean, this podcast may be getting long but maybe i can i can put it succinctly and that is the we look at the way we built the internet and mm-hmm. the infrastructure that that supported that, which is the client server model. Like when you build applications on a client server model, you're 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 incentivized or you're you're forced to silo information and then the people who have that information profit off of it, which is why we have applications like Facebook and uh, Google and absolutely. things that take advantage of that, which is which is intrinsically a product of the way you build apps on the infrastructure now absolutely now that has had prolific like consequences on the way humans interact with each other because mm-hmm. they use these applications to make their lives easier yeah. and blockchain is is fundamentally different but people don't understand that because they're so used to the idea of the applications they grew up with
3: yeah
4: absolutely absolutely um, I mean, you see the same thing with power grids, right? I mean, you know, people are fighting like hell for their right to live off grid in places like Florida, because everybody wants to keep them connected to the power grid. So mm. then they're helping pay for the price of the power grid. Uh, Spain has really serious laws to stop people just buying a bunch of solar panels and dropping out because they're afraid that if that happens, you know, they're going to lose their national grid because everybody's going to just be making their own power locally. And it'll be kind of last person on the national grid turn off the lights. Hmm. And you can see that's a scary as hell prospect for a country.
0: So what do you do? Is, you just, is it just slow? You just, just This slowly transforms into something that works better for people, and the social constructs built on top of these things slowly starts to pervade the way people interact with each other?
4: Well, I mean, the, the, in the electrical industry, they call it grid defection. And what happens when a critical mass of your population have defected from the national grid to making their own electricity? And the fear is that it will be the middle classes that go first because they've got the capital to buy the solar panels and the batteries. And you're going to be left with a whole bunch of poor people sharing a national grid that can no longer pay for itself. That's mm. a bad scenario. Yeah,
3: but then I think that the quickest – that same population that you just said, the middle class, if they're going to be the first to opt out. That also would probably be the population you want to educate the most on the consequences of opting out and the – and what to do if you are going to opt out to help because that's also the same. I mean, the middle class, they drive things. So that's also the same population you want to say, okay, now if you're going to opt off the grid, you're going to have to do this, this, and that to help out the community because you can't just have a bunch of people with no lights on. So, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think this is a will. There's a way right there. And, yeah, we hope that it works its way out.
4: But, you know, I haven't talked to anybody that's got a neat solution for grid detection. Like, it's just a hard problem because one wave of technology is killing an older wave of technology, and the new wave of technology really empowers individuals in the same way that the old wave of technology tended to empower states. Well, maybe we'll end up finding a
0: common ground. The pendulum is starting to swift, like swing the other direction, and then that'll have oh. its problems associated with itself, like you just pointed out. But there's a middle ground somewhere where you have some type of combination of the two an equilibrium if you will of 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 centralization versus decentralization where they both matter and make sense
4: i mean the thing that i want to see is research on basic income on blockchains um so you know i think that if you put me in charge of doing this tomorrow uh, i would basically have a system where we issued people with a single token a day that didn't have a fixed exchange rate to the national currency and you would just see what people spent it on and it would begin to float against the national currency and eventually it would come to some kind of value and then if that value wasn't high enough you could begin to set exchangeability with the national currency organized by government that's how you build a basic income system um but there's i mean there's lots of ways of approaching how you decentralize an economy um you uh, you know it's kind of like, because we're very locked into the existing systems of banking, we think we've got a very clear model of like what produces centralization and how the assets are created and all the rest of this stuff. But there's, you know, it turns out there's completely different ways of, you know, running banking systems and financial systems that are nothing like either the Bitcoin or the Ethereum model or the current fiat system. And um, there are lots of different ways that that stuff has happened in the past. Um, so, I mean, you know, the, we do practically no advisory, right? We've got like literally three advisory clients, hmm. you know, we only really do advisory stuff for people that have something special. So when I got, you know, kind of dragged around to doing advisory for Sweetbridge, it's because they sat down and gave me like an hour long masterclass in the history of money creation. And I just sat there, like, it was like, you know, like, okay, these are my professors and I am a graduate student. I'm going to learn how the world really works. yeah And they've got this whole riff about you do decentralization of the economy, not by basically issuing coins based on mining. You issue coins based on industrial capacity and the industrial capacity is spread all the way through the economy. And they're literally talking about token issuing as part of the ordinary life cycle inside of industrial processes. Okay, this is the point where you've generated the value, now you're going to issue some tokens.
1: Well, okay. You don't have to
4: sell it? You could issue tokens right inside of the industrial processes. And you know, that's a different vision of how you basically create decentralization of the crypto, um, taking us off in a completely different direction from the Bitcoin Ethereum direction. Um, and there could be four or five other ways of doing things that are like that. You know, what if somebody figures out a way of tokenizing um, you know, knowledge? In the way that these guys are tokenizing the industrial economy you see what i'm saying
0: yeah it's, it, it, it changes the way the distribution it. works and puts the value into something that that like reinforces putting more value into it
4: yeah exactly so there was a, an old project by a guy called art brock called the MetaCurrency project and they were looking at a world that had enormous numbers of different tokens and i really disliked MetaCurrency project because the way that it was being expressed, it sounded like a surveillance state from hell, in which the market basically <laughs> surveilled you all the time, in the, the process of creating and issuing you all these funny little tokens. You know, and it was like a reputation panopticon, and it was terrible.
3: How can you say surveillance state from hell as if they come from other more pleasant places?
4: <laughs> well, I mean, you you. We do get on quite nicely with the Facebook surveillance state. You know, it's it's kind
3: of unpleasant. <laughs> yeah, well, well, you, know, well, you, I, can, I, you can put more than a thumbs up there now. You can put. That's the thing, face. though,
0: right? Like it's it's like it's that's the same concept that I was talking about earlier, where you have if like based on the infrastructure of the client-server model, you're forced to this ideology of you give up privacy for convenience.
4: Well,
0: and, and because
1: we're not
4: paying for Facebook.
0: Right? But right. you're I mean, you're giving up your privacy for the convenience that Facebook allows. Whereas that's not sure. necessarily the same thing when you switch the, the infrastructure.
4: But I mean, you know, part of the problem is that Facebook just won't take your money. No. If I yeah. could pay Facebook twenty five dollars a year and never see another advert anywhere on the internet that had Facebook information behind it, how much happier would I be?
0: Well, um, I still it would still suck because the content on Facebook's terrible.
4: Well, sure. But that's <laughs> You know, all of our friends are idiots. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, same thing on Twitter. Like, I'm getting to that point. Like, particularly after things began to get really kind of dark and complicated in America, the quality of the thinking on social media has just gone straight down the toilet. It's awful.
3: Yeah, if it's not a meme, I'm not paying attention.
4: Oh, man.
3: You just lost, you just lost
4: him. He's done. I'm just, just like right here, right? This is like our generation's Cuban missile crisis, right? We're sitting here, right here, possibly on the eve of nuclear war between America and some, you know, crazy little country with a bunch of nuclear weapons and, you know, there's just that moment of just like, we're sliding right through this thing. There's just no sense that it's really happening. Did you guys watch the, the, you know, the Trump rocket man speech?
3: Oh, yeah, 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 it was pretty scary. It I'm not going to lie.
4: It was it amazing.
3: Was, it was pretty scary. Um but that but the memification of everything makes it not so scary.
4: I mean how 2017 is it that you know like the president dec- you know threatens nuclear war with a meme. Yeah. You know, like wow, I don't want to live
0: is- in this world anymore.
4: <laughs> well, I, you know, I read a bunch of cyberpunk stuff when I was a kid, right? You know, I spent my teens, you know, with my nose stuck in William Gibson, and Bruce Sterling, just like waiting for things to get weird. I'm 45 now; it's like oh, things are finally getting like science fiction weird.
0: Oh yeah, for sure. My buddy, uh, who who was, uh, he's he's from uh, Copenhagen, and he says like it, it's all a post that he wrote. It's like you know, two years ago, if you would have told me, because he lives in the, I don't know, one of the one of the, tor- like, hurricane ransacked countries. Mm. If you would have told me two years ago that I'd be a refugee in America under the presidency of Donald Trump, I would have told you to go screw yourself, and that's ridiculous. Yeah. But here I am.
1: <laughs>
4: yeah, yeah. Uh, we are definitely in one of the weirder timelines we could have wound up in. Well,
0: uh, I think that's that's the, the weirdness is a, is a great way to, to wrap this up. What do you think, Dave?
3: Yeah, yeah, we should probably wrap it up. We are going long. Okay. We have we have just uh, one more question. Okay, sure. And then, of course, you can plug away if you need to plug anything. I don't know. But <laughs> this question is, in 10 words or less, can uh-huh. you describe blockchain?
4: Oh, God, that one. Um, <laughs> that, is, that is not the question I was expecting. Let me see if I can find that part of my brain. So, blockchain is a way... Uh, no, 10 words or less. I have a really beautiful explanation that involves the speed of light, and it's my go-to explanation. 10 so words I'm or thinking. less? No, unfortunately not. So the 10 words oh, or okay. less version is <laughs> no. that blockchain is a way of synchronizing all the computers in the world so that when you do something, everybody that needs to know does know, and there's no fraud.
0: Certainly not 10 words, mm. but it's still more succinct. It's over 10. Pretty right <laughs> close, right?
3: So, if, we cut, if we put a semicolon after all the computers in the world... You, you made it at six words.
4: Yeah, that'll do, that'll do. Synchronizing all the computers in the world, uh, um, the speed of light thing. If you you guys are explaining this to people that are reasonably technical, um, is basically the speed of light, uh, is very, very slow compared to how fast the computers are now. So visa does a transaction, uh, in the same length of time that it takes light to travel 10 kilometers. So if you've got a round trip across the Atlantic in that time period, Visa's processed like 7,000 transactions. Um, mm. and this is why we have all of this complexity around making sure that people aren't double spending. So the high-frequency trade guys basically pick a single point to be the center of the world, put the exchange there, and then just pack all their trading computers as close as they can to that exchange. And the further away you are, the worse your economic performance. And that's the... Yes, this is true. Through. I've actually
3: read Read about that. So that's
4: the HFT approach. The Google approach is that you pack all of um, your data centers filled with, you know, you just pack them with atomic clocks and then you very precisely measure the latency between all the data centers under different conditions. So that when something happens, you make a really good estimate about exactly when it happened and you have a kind of synthetic now that they produce internally. And it's like a hundred thousand dollars worth of atomic clocks in every data center. And the synchronization is a big process and they call it, and that's Google spanner. That's their architecture for handling time for Google, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of impressive when you think about it, but it's a crazy thing. And then you've got the blockchain approach where you just batch up the transactions into lumps, which are much slower than the speed of light. You know, there's plenty of time to go around the world a few times before you get to your 15 second block. And then you randomly pick a point in the world, which will be the place that does the assembly of the block and you know, the tracking of the integrity and then the publishing of the block. Um, and that's basically our approach to handling the speed of light problem. And when you think about it in that way, it's pretty obvious that the blockchain is a fundamental thing, because if you're not going to do it blockchain, your choices are Spanner or HFT. And i see what you're a, saying
0: here yeah. so that's much more of a democratization fair a fair distribution
4: if you will and if you're going to have a global trade system you can't use the SPA, uh, the the hft approach because where's going to be the center of the world and if you're going to take a spanner approach you're going to have a single entity which manages the entire global you know computer system because you can't make something like spanner work in a fair way if you've got people who've got different interests running different data centers because they're going to cheat and they're going to tell you that things happened before they happened as a way of getting around the fair trading system. So I think there's a really fundamental push towards blockchain
3: just because of the fundamental physics.
0: I can get behind mm. that as a physicist.
3: Yeah. I think, makes I think my brain just melted out a little bit in a good way. This, in a good way.
4: This has been, I, 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 you know, I'm not, uh, how do I say this exactly? That thing of just like having my brain melted, I've been running around in this space for two years, basically making it up as I go along, because nobody seemed to understand what was happening better than I did. Um, (laughs) And the reason that we took these Sweetbridge guys as an advisory client was they basically know more about crypto economics than anybody that I've met that's native to the crypto field. Right, like it is the most seriously next level analysis about how crypto is going to intersect with the real world that I've ever seen. And I'm running around doing everything I can to support this thing because, you know, in a straight like economic utility sense, they've got a better shot at figuring out how to stabilize and fix some of the aspects of the global economy than anybody else I've seen. they're not doing a really good job of explaining what it is they do yet. There's a white paper and there's a website, but they haven't got much the explainer <laughs> videos up and all the rest of that stuff yet. Um, but when they get the explainer material, you know, take a serious look at it because they really are going to fix some stuff.
0: Well, maybe they need an educator like you to help try to, well, try to bring that down and make analogies that are approachable to the everyday well, person.
4: I mean, they, I mean, what they're basically doing, right? is they're basically just allowing people that are in the industrial supply chain to issue tokens off the assets that they currently have control over as a way of monetizing stuff before they're selling it. Right. It's this funny little, you know, it's a simple little thing that they're doing inside of trade finance. They've got a couple of decades of experience in trade finance, but the implication is that you go from having to borrow money at 7% to run your small business to being able to borrow money directly off your stock. Using the expertise of the other people in your supply chain and your customers to guarantee your loans So they're talking about basically being able to run supply chains without having to go to banks to borrow money at interest all the way through That requires some investigation and, yeah. and, and their take is look this is a fifty four trillion dollar system and it's borrowing money from the banks all the way through which is one of the reasons that the the global system is so inefficient. Because if you've got a supply chain, there might be three or four different places where people are borrowing money, and every time it's adding seven percent of friction. See what I'm saying?
3: Yeah. So they're trying to I mean, slice in
4: middlemen, and 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 bringing the money creation function back into the hands of the people that run the industrial economy, rather than having it being outsourced to the banking system.
0: It's 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 the I same mean, it's the same ideology of of incentivizing the people who are contributing to the community to put
4: back into the community and it's inherently decentralized because the manufacturing economy is very very decentralized
0: yeah you see what I'm saying yeah value creation right. comes from contributing to the to the actual network
4: I mean I'm literally doing advisory for three projects right now and it's only things that I really really think like oh my god this is important Um I mean, I am not kidding. The education that I have gotten off talking to these guys—it's like they are to me what I am to most of the people that are just getting started in blockchain. Well,
0: that's that's coming from a a big order. That's a that's a that's that's high praise, in my opinion, because I no no, I I I am
4: not kidding, right? Like, you know, I've got three-day seminar starting with these guys first thing tomorrow morning. We're gonna try and basically do an analysis of the fundamental economic structure of the legal system from end to end all of the incentives for all of the actors to try and figure out how you'd use token economics to re-architect the legal system so that it was cheap and efficient rather than being expensive filled with predators
3: i think i would pay to be a fly on the
4: wall in that um, you see what i'm saying right uh so you know very serious next step you know next level stuff is happening uh i don't think they're the only you know, massive gorillas from other fields that are coming into blockchain. There are probably similar people coming out of research science. There might be similar people coming out of, I don't know, technical finance. I don't know exactly what's happening, but I think we're beginning to see, like, really serious leadership intelligence types from other fields come into blockchain with their visions and figure out how to do the architecture. Energy, right? You know, Rocky Mountain Institute is doing a whole bunch of blockchain stuff. I suspect there's similar stuff happening at Rocky Mountain Institute. But what the really heavy thinkers from other fields can achieve when they come into the blockchain space and pick up the tools, I think that might turn out to be the next round of real acceleration.
3: Well, I like what you said about the leadership piece because the space definitely needs it. Yeah,
4: because we've been making this stuff up as we go along. I mean, you know, like (laughs) we've got tons of intellectual depth inside of crypto, but we don't have tons of intellectual depth in terms of how the rest of the world operates. Um, mm-hmm. And this is actually the first time I've seen people with that level of firepower coming into the space um, and picking up the tools and figuring out what to do with them. So I guess this is, yeah, you know, if I got takeaway from this evening, it's basically like, watch out for the kind of field leadership from other fields coming in. Um, because, like, you know, they're seeing things in the blockchain space that I had never seen from inside of it myself um and if that's typical of what happens when the big guys arrive from other places i think it's going to get really exciting really quickly
0: definitely that's a that's a great way that's a great way to finish this and i like we want to absolutely thank you Vinay, for coming back on the show and and just having a great conversation with us you're always welcome back and we've always enjoyed it
4: really good talking guys and um oh uh things to plug internet agreements conference happening in london 16th of october okay so uh yeah it's up on internet of com has a link uh, the conference will be free uh we're looking for sponsors and tickets are going to be in short supply so if any of you guys are coming across for this let me know and i'll make sure you get a ticket
0: sounds great We'll make sure we put that in the in the show notes for our, our right. viewers to see
4: cool thank you all right have a good night guys
3: and that was the in- interview with vene gupta We thoroughly hope you enjoyed it's always like um I've said is always like go into your favorite professor's office hours to learn about your favorite thing when you're talking with Mr. Vinay Gupta. So we hope that you um, do a little bit of research on the company, Sweetbridge. And um, with such high recommendation from Vinay Gupta, it behooves you to at least learn a little bit about the technology that you're trying to drop on the world. I'm
0: really happy that you've incorporated – Vanet into your, or sorry, uh, behoove into your vernacular. You used to hate on me for saying it all the time.
3: Back in the early I days, I didn't hate on you. I love behoove. It's a good word. It's a good quality word. It's a strong word. It's like it's forcing without forcing. Like here's a very strong suggestion. This is what you should be doing based on what yeah. you're already doing. Yeah. I'll use it in any situation. Like if somebody is like uh, trying to stand on the train tracks trying to play daredevil with the train, I'd say, hey, youngster, it would behoove you to step off of those train tracks. Very calm, too.
0: I don't think I've ever actually looked the word up.
3: Like, officially looked up. It basically mean, like, it's in your best interest.
0: I understand what it means. To do that. It is a duty or responsibility for someone to do something it is incumbent on. Or, it is appropriate or suitable. It befits there's your there's your translation yeah. for behoove so it is perfectly fitting for the scenarios you just you just mentioned
2: yep if I walk I'm on not re- I'm not required to have a duty though unless I'm in the military that's a strong word that's it but or appropriate or
0: suitable you can use it in either context
3: yeah or, or be fitting
2: be fitting strong too get off those railroad tracks now or
3: like if I if I rolled up on the uh, Miss Soldania herself, I would say it would behoove
2: you to let me take you out to dinner. It's a responsibility <laughs> or my duty <laughs> to please that Saldania.
0: goes straight to the responsibility <laughs> and how much he doesn't want it.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm not Spider-Man. I don't want all that.
0: All right, uh, yeah, I got nothing to talk about.
2: Yeah, man,
3: we were gonna talk about my bold prediction oh wait wait i'm not done yet what's your
2: what's up um <clears throat> the urban dictionary definition of behoove is i <sighs> use words like behoove so people assume that i'm refined that's a good that's a hashtag good douchebag hashtag pretentious i'll take that oh i'll take that i'll <laughs> take
3: that too because i drink wine out of coffee mugs <laughs> well, i'm not i'm not i'm ultra white privileged know.
0: so i probably it's probably as appropriate
3: for me yeah. And I probably listen to too much hip hop music to be considered uh high class or whatever.
0: If you were to, like if you were to like center white privilege, it's probably like outside of like trust fund babies. I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty high up there I'd say.
3: Yeah, but you were born into that world, Corey. You don't aren't, take advantage of the fact that you have Is Isn't
0: everyone with white privilege? Isn't that the definition of having white privilege is being born into it?
3: I just was trying to make you feel better. (laughs) Hey, Deacon Frost was
2: born a vampire, but he wasn't accepted by the full vampires. So it didn't benefit him. I'm a daywalker.
3: Wait, Deacon Frost wasn't born a vampire, was he? I thought he was made a vampire. vampire.
0: No, I think he was made a vampire. I think Blade is the
2: only born into vampire.
3: Yeah, Blade is born
2: into vampire. That's why he's the daywalker. I messed up. I messed up an analogy. Then, sorry. Shame. Oh. Wow. Shame. It was shame. It
3: was your responsibility to get that analogy right. It would have behooved <laughs> you to get it correct.
2: God damn it! <laughs>
3: <laughs> All right. Your bold prediction. My bold is, prediction. That? Uh, the ether price is going to go up a lot. There we that's go. Not, that's, that's not. Totally that's not. I mean, that's pretty bold for somebody who's a newcomer to the space.
2: That's not terribly Ooh, bold. I got my neighbor to sign up for Coinbase, and he's bullish on Ethereum. Ethereum pushed him into the space, so I would. have got
0: another. The narrative connection. around
2: Ethereum is typically more
0: positive, and you just hear it a lot more. So people assume that it's going to be rising more. What's your other bold prediction?
3: His neighbor's going to be logging into Coinbase fifteen times a day for the next three weeks because he mm. just got into crypto. <laughs>
0: You are one with the boldness. And so I don't know how you come up with like I don't know how you stay daring to make these types of bold predictions and uh and or I had alive. a
3: mini freak out the other day. Here's I'm getting real uh Nostradamus with this. I'm gonna put on my tin cap too. I, I had a prediction that all this crypto stuff was a Designed to release by the state to get an entire group of people that are gonna have just let just hear it out. Entire group of people that are gonna have a lot of wealth in the future. The millennials re-bought in to the state because it's just gonna like skyrocket in value, and we're gonna think we're the shit because like we're millennials and we know how to save our money the way we want to save it. But then it's gonna crash, and then we're gonna it's gonna renew our faith in fiat currency. I think it's a long con, baby. But I, I think if I get wealthy in between that long con, so it's okay a long it.
0: con bought in by the rest of the world to make America great again.
3: And then America's gonna crash that shit. It's gonna crash down, and then everyone's gonna say, "Oh my God, how did we get so foolish as to keep so much faith into something the state didn't do for us?" We gotta go back to that fiat shit. We gotta go back to the titty, baby, and then we go back to that fiat titty. That's ridiculous. I mean, it's a bold claim, Corey. Now that that behooves the Bonicker bold. Yeah, that was pretty bold. I will go with
0: bold on that. That was bold. Ether price rising early, short term. I would say that's not very bold. Got DevCon coming up. People get excited about stuff. There's going to yeah, be a I lot of that. things that are, are, are said during DevCon.
2: Bitcoin price, what are we, what are we thinking?
0: I don't know. Depending on um, what happens three with thousand, the fork, I think it's going like, to go up. I think it's going to go up past four. I don't think this next fork is going to be that big of an issue. People are pretty seem to be pretty okay with the fact that everyone's just jumping off of SegWit2x. We don't have that same ideological difference. Uh, between Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash, as we do for Bitcoin, Bitcoin 2X. Because the people who really, really cared about that basically went to Bitcoin Cash. And everyone left in Bitcoin, which is a good amount of people, just like, just pretty much just wanted SegWit, which is what they have. And they're ready for things like Lightning Network. Which, by the way, D, you somewhat discussed a bit incorrectly in your previous on-ramping with D.
3: Which one?
0: Um, I don't know.
3: The Lightning Network? Thing?
0: Yeah, talked about the Lightning Network. State channels are not exactly what you discuss them to be.
3: Ah, I will. Glad people are know. listening. I will let you know. It's a good response to the old on with D episodes. Yeah, I'm gonna start wearing a jacket while I record them. I don't know what that make... means. Well, it'll I make like... it
2: feel like more
3: showmanship.
2: Oh. I like the jazz episode with Nathan, where you had jazz in the background. I enjoyed that as well. Oh my god,
3: I was so damn drunk. Probably shouldn't should, have said that. You but... should do that more often. <laughs> yeah, that was a good one. <laughs> I was flipping wasted on that On ramp with the
1: episode.
3: <laughs> I'm surprised how well I could speak when I'm wasted. Because that's got to be some side of skill. Anyways. Um... I'd say
0: let's wrap it up. Yeah, we're going to go ahead and pizza. wrap this
3: up. Today's the... The end of today's episode, after the interview, the backside of the roundtable is brought to you by American Horror Story on FX. Um, you can see it by turning on the TV to FX. If you still have cable. Yeah, who has cable if, these if you days? you still have cable. Millennials are listening yep. to us.
0: They ain't got cable.
3: Nobody has cable. Yep. Also brought to you by Tootsie Roll Pops, not to be confused with, Bloat. Blow, uh, what are the, Blow Pops? Yeah, Blow Pops suck since he rolls for life. Um, shit. Other than that, um, we have a blog, bitcoinpodcast.com. Sorry, medium.com slash thebitcoinpodcast. You can find our blog there. Uh, 51, we write. Writing. I started a blog, but then, I don't know, man. Blogging's one of those things you really gotta <clears> be able <throat> to power through it. I got like four half-finished blog posts right now,
0: and about ten ideas of, of other ones. You just gotta fucking power
2: through. Yeah. Power. Never enjoyed um, that.
3: Either. Let's see, Cello, what is, what you what you got brewing?
2: Uh, go to leavethefabricon.com. dot com. It's my new adult entertainment site. It's a good leave one. leavethefabricon.com. dot yeah. com. Nice.
0: Gonna, That's a I'm good always, one. I feel like the, you're trolling us.
3: Well, you're just going to have to type in that URL and see. URL. I'm doing it, URL, I'm doing it right and, now. And see. No, that's oh, man,
2: def- I really hope that's a porn site. D, you know what I'm referencing, right? I do know what you're referencing.
1: Okay.
2: <laughs> well, URL's available. Not, may not be by the time you hear this. I don't know. Leave the fabric on. I don't, Dot com. I don't get it. <laughs> I don't get it. You don't get it?
3: Remember when we were bullshitting... The last episode. Never mind. We're not going to bring that up. It's hard. Yeah, it's hard to bring it up again. It's in the past. Um, Twitter at the BTC podcast. Tell tweets. If you tweet to him, he'll tweet back to you unless it's a whack tweet. Then he will dodge it. That is true.
0: Next month. I am going sober through October. I have gone about two years of being steadily drunk every day. I think I'll uh, sorry. I think I I'll stop for a that. little bit and go and go sober through October. So if you want to join should me,
1: should we
3: start a thing? If
0: you want to join in me in
1: October? Let
0: me know. Tweet me. Tell Dude. me you're gonna you're gonna keep me going.
3: Yeah, man, that's a thing. Let's do this thing. Sober in hashtag Sober in October. I will be um, like
0: kind of breaking it because I have a party, um, at the end of the month on like the 29th, <laughs> and then we're gonna be in. Can't do that, bro. We're getting. You can't oh, drink until November. I don't care. Uh, no, we're, dude, we're our first, first night in
2: Mexico. You know, our first night in Mexico, first night in Mexico is Mexico November,
0: Mexico. like the end of Me- November. First. So that's how I'm celebrating being sober through October is being hammered drunk at the very
3: end of it. Fucking obliterated. That's what so, I'm talking about.
2: So that's I that I like this idea. All right. So if you're I, I, that, I will be our designated not obliterated in Mexico. We can't all be obliterated in Mexico.
3: I'm going to micro-dose you with Rufi so you can get obliterated. No, this isn't the hangover. We have to go to this conference. (laughs) Cello, why are you so tired all the time? I don't know, man. Um, So that's that. That's something I'm going to do. Support us. Hashtag Sober in October. Corey goes sober. I go sober. Then November 1st. We show the world how not sober we wanna be.
0: Sober through October.
2: Sober through October. I
0: like that. I like that's what I'm. And if saying. you
2: fail, you get the cold shoulder. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You fail,
0: you have to send us some money. You have to donate yeah. to the podcast.
3: Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay, yep. well, uh, shout out to Zoe Saldana. Um, shout out to Michelle Obama. Shout out to that new tennis girl. Have y'all seen she's like a she's like Serena Williams two I don't know her name, but she won the Masters.
2: She's mega cute. I don't I don't watch boring. <sighs> Is Serena Williams cute? Isn't she like six foot two? She's Wesley Snipes That's, with long hair and some. It's not a matter
3: of Serena Williams being cute. It's a matter of creating an ultimate human being.
2: And If
3: her and LeBron James would have got together,
2: oh my God. That is a sex tape I would not watch.
3: (laughs) That's that's, okay. We got an episode. Play
1: the algebra.